Hey, Soma family, this is Michael, and this is Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing with others. It's our vision as a church to help as many people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is really just a vehicle to further that vision. We're in a series as a church called Pray First, and we're in a season called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. We always fast and pray at the beginning of the year to stir our faith and our affection for the things of God. We know God's going to move powerfully over this next month, and we want to invite you to join us for 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting from Monday, January 8th through Sunday, January 28th. We hope this message encourages you, and we hope you take away some application to grow in your own life of prayer. Enjoy the message. And we're going to learn more about prayer as we step into this series. Pray first. If you got your note cards, I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you today. Our theme verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for my life? Pray first. That's his will for my life. That I would have joy, that I would experience the joy of the Lord, that I would rejoice always while I give thanks to God in what? In prayer. That I would continually pray and I would pray first in every situation. So before you start your day, before you send that text, before you have that hard conversation, if you're in a season of brokenness, if you're in a season where everything's going well, you got plenty and you're wondering what the plenty is for, pray first. That's the idea. And we see it in the life of Jesus. He models it. He teaches it. This is what God wants for us to have a relationship with him. We all want to experience more of God, but we don't want to do the thing necessary to experience more of God. Prayer for many of us feels like an obligation or a duty. It doesn't feel like a thing that we get to do. It feels like a thing that we have to do. It's like eating your vegetables. I know it's good for me, but also sugar. You know what I'm saying? Like also it's vegetables. I don't really want to eat it. Everybody wants abs. Nobody wants to do crunches. You know what I'm saying? Right? Am I preaching to anybody? So prayer the same way. I want, to grow, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I want God to move powerfully in my life. Ah, prayer, service, praying, I just, whatever. Like, and this is the way that God moves powerfully. When it comes to prayer, God wants to move us from prayer being a thing that you have to do to being a thing that you get to do. If you never had the moment where you're praying and you're so caught up in prayer and you've been praying for a hot second and you just forget that you were praying. And like 45 minutes later, you're like, that felt like five minutes. That's what God wants to do is he wants to move you to a place that prayer becomes a delight. And so it's just harder than ever to make it a priority to pray first. 2024 is the hardest time to pray because there's so many different things pulling at your attention. So many different distractions. We're all so busy like whatever, like we, these are self-inflicted wounds, things that we do to ourselves. And we live in a time and a space where our just, our attention is pulled at from a b- bunch of different angles. So I'll give you an example. Brooke and I, we're 39. She's four days older than me, by the way. But everybody always, everybody always looks at us. I just had to tell you all that, you know what I'm saying? But everybody always looks at us and they're like, y'all are 39. Wow. She looks so young. And I'm like, bro, I'm right here. I'm right here. Like, what do I look like? And they're like about 45 ish somewhere in there, you know? So, but, uh, but we, we grew up, we're geriatric millennials. We grew up in a space where in, in college is when the smartphone came out, Google became a big deal, Facebook dropped, all this kind of stuff happened when we were in that season of life, which meant for us for teenage years and for when we were kids, we didn't have smartphones back in my day. You know what I'm saying? And so when we went to, when, when, I, was, when I was 16, when I pulled up to a stoplight, if y'all remember back in the day, you remember what happened when you pulled up to a stoplight? It was a red light. When we were, when we were growing up, you just sat at a red light. That's what you did. 
That was it. There wasn't nothing to do. You didn't have nothing to flip. Didn't nothing to look at. Checking nobody's status. You went to a restaurant. Watch this. When you went to a restaurant with people, you just talked to people. It was crazy. It was wild back in the day. Like you would look at people in their eyes and stuff. When you went to the restroom, you just went to the restroom. That was it. And so none of, none of the things that, are, that we currently do because we're all so attached to, if you, let go, if you let go of nothing else for 21 days, put the phone down and watch God move in powerful ways because it's literally designed to have your attention. And this isn't like conspiracy. It's like a well-known fact. Nobody cares anyway. But they, they will recruit all these companies, will recruit people from all over the world, smartest people, to try and figure out what can we do to engage these people in such a way that they are attached to their phone and they engage their phone. The more times you touch it, the longer you're on it, the more they get paid. They literally, are, their job is to monetize your attention. Their job is to monetize your life. That's really what they're doing. And so it's not a bad thing. It could be a good thing. It's just that for many of us, it's overplayed. We're very distracted. And that's one of the things that keeps us from, like, all the small moments, like when I was growing up, all the times that we would just be bored, the red light, you know, all the times that now some kind of screen fills that void, before it was just like an opportunity for to just think about deeper things, to just pray to God or just ask questions. And now we just, ne- no one ever stops and just sits or thinks. And so, so that's one of the things um, that, that pulls at us. Another thing is wealth. It makes it harder for us to pray because we just feel like we don't have to. Like, we, we're good. You and I live, this generation is the wealthiest generation that's ever been in the history of humanity. And I know for some of you, you're like, if you saw my bank account, you would not feel, like, I don't feel wealthy. But our, the space and time in which we live is wealthiest generation ever. And, and for many of us, it's like, why do I need to pray? Things are going well. And that's our prayer life is marked by that. If things are going well vocationally or we have the income that we need, we're comfortable, we're not praying. If life's a dumpster fire and, and we're broken and we're, and we're impoverished, now we're praying all of a sudden. But for many of us, we're in a place where we don't have to. Why do I need to pray for my daily bread? I can Instacart that thing. You know what I mean? I can DoorDash that mug. And so like, that's, that's where we don't have to pray for it because we, we have the means to, to go around that. And so we have technology and the rise of information. Why do I need to pray about when I can just Google it? Or, or um, the time and the space that we live is a secular space, more skeptical than ever. So even when God does answer your prayer as a believer, at the back of your mind, you're thinking, how much of that was coincidence? How much of that was God answering my prayer? And he does answer your prayer. It's just faith is taking a hit because we, we're too dependent on the good things that God's given us instead of depending on God himself. And so if you're like me and you're growing in this gift of prayer, you're not alone if you struggle to pray. You live in a time where it's harder to pray than ever before. And so the idea is God wants you to grow in your prayer life because this is where God is going to grow you the most. So if we want to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference, the know God part isn't knowing about God. It isn't knowing things about Jesus. There's a lot of that. It is, the word is gnosko, and it means to intimately know. It means to be in a relationship with God. Are you in a relationship with God? Here's how you know if you're in a relationship with God. Do you talk to him? Does he talk back? Do you spend time? If you're like, hey, I got a best friend, my best friend, we just haven't talked in six years. You don't have a best friend, right? So you, that's, so if, if I have a real relationship, my prayer life is indicative. The time I spend, the conversations I'm having, is it real? And, and that's what matters to God. This is what's so important. And so 
Jesus models this, and I'm going to prove it to you biblically. It's so important that this is literally like the thing that Jesus does before every big moment in Scripture, many of the miracles, a lot of, a lot of big rocks that happen over the course of his life and ministry happen after. He prays first, and then they happen. And so if you think about it, even before his earthly ministry, he prays and fasts for 40 days. Before he teaches, before he heals, before signs and wonders, before the cross, before resurrection, before the Holy Spirit, pray first. He prays for 40 days and fasts for 40 days. And that's the thing that sets off his ministry. And so Jesus would often go away into solitude and pray. And uh, he prays in John 17, for example, leading into the cross, the high priestly prayer. He's in the garden. And what he does before he goes to the cross is he prays first. When he's on the cross, what is he doing? Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. He's praying as he's on the cross. When Jesus dies, gives his life over, he's resurrected, he ascends to the Father, and he looks at his followers and says, okay, I'm going to hand the baton over to you, you're in charge. Wait, don't go tell anybody about me yet. I'm going to send you my spirit that's going to empower you to do what you couldn't do in your own strength. And as they're waiting in the upper room, what are they doing? Praying. They're praying. And so I'm going to give you some examples in the life and ministry of Jesus. Luke 5, 15 through 16 it says, the news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. If you couldn't see one day and then the next day you could see, everybody you know is going to hear about that. And you're bringing whoever you can to that party. If you couldn't walk one day and then you could walk the next day, you're getting as many lame people as you can to Jesus. And so he has thousands of people pulling at his attention. And the Bible tells us time and time again. I mean, he's, this is like, this is insanity you have all these people and then he's like okay I'm leaving and he goes away in solitude spends time with the father and he prays over and over and over again and so Jesus is coming off of a miracle right here in Luke chapter 5 he's coming off of a miracle but this is right before Jesus heals a guy his friends lower him through the roof if you remember that passage the paralytic and his friends lower him through the roof and he tells the guy he forgives the guy's sins before he heals him physically if you remember that. And so kind of a big deal. This is one of the reasons why Jesus is put to death is because the Pharisees are there and they're like, who can forgive sins except God alone? Right before this happened, Jesus prays. I'm going to give you another example. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. I'm just giving you several examples. There's plenty. But uh, it says this in Luke 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying to God. It had been a long day. Didn't have time to spend with the Father the way that he wanted to. He's going to a, a quiet place. He's getting away from all the distractions. Be still. I'm on the mountainside. He spends the entire night praying to the Father. The next day is when he chooses his disciples. And, and I'm going to give you another example. Luke 9, Mount of Transfiguration. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And Jesus is literally transformed in prayer. And in the Mount of Transfiguration, if you're new to the Bible or if you just forgot, the whole idea is God displays who his son is. So he reveals the glory of who Jesus is a couple different places. One, when he's baptized by water, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then also Mount of Transfiguration, James, Peter, and John, they go up to the mountain and God reveals the glory of who his son is. This is the Messiah. This is the son of God. This is what he's come. And Moses and Elijah shows up, which can be a little bit, it's like, what, what is happening? Uh, but, but God's saying, hey, he's the fulfillment of all the law, and he's the fulfillment of all the prophecy. 
And James and Peter and John get to experience this. But before they experience it, what is he doing? He prays. He prays first before all these things. And so these are just three examples in the Gospels of Jesus making prayer part of his everyday life. He made time to pray to the Father. And it doesn't matter how busy he was. Like, you think you're busy. All things were made for him and through him. and to, Like, he holds all things together. And, and so it, he made time for prayer, and he would go to great lengths to get away, be still, go to quiet places, and spend time with the Father. And one day he's praying, and his disciples hear him praying. This is Luke, same gospel, chapter 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, they, these guys are Jewish. They had memorized prayers as young, young Jewish guys. And, they, I mean, they knew how to pray. They knew recited prayers. But Jesus prayed, and it just hit different when he prayed. And they were like, what is that? Teach us how to do that. And then Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, many of you know the Lord's Prayer, he gives us not just a prayer to recite. Many of you have memorized the prayer. You've had, we've all had that moments where, you know, I, I, like I played football back in the day. And, and, and you know, and, and it, was, it, all, it was always wild to me. Like, coach cuts you out, and they'd be like, all right, take a knee. Our Father, who art in heaven. You know, but, like, but that's what we would do. And uh, so, like, on Easter Sunday, about 25% of the global population recite this prayer. And so a lot of people know the Lord's Prayer, but it's not so much a prayer to memorize as it is a prayer. It's a prayer guide. And Jesus gives us a template for these are the things that I'm thinking of when I'm praying to a heavenly father. This is how I approach my dad. And this is how he wants you to approach them. And so uh, Luke 11 is where we get the Lord's Prayer. But there's also in Matthew's account, Matthew 6, there's a more in-depth. Luke gives us like the abbreviated version. And you can go there, but if you go to Matthew 6, you'll get um, the beefier version of the Lord's Prayer. And it says this in verse 9 in Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus says, he says, hey, when you pray, start off this way, our Father in heaven. And he says, here's the reason why I want you to do that. I want you to connect relationally. I want you to realize you're not just praying to some distant God, some deity that just kind of sets things in motion, is removed from your life and just could care less about what you're going through. You have a heavenly dad. The original word, the, the language is Abba, which means daddy. That's what it means. It's a real intimate, it's like, this is my dad. And he, he says, this is how I approach God. And then he invites you and I to approach God in the same way. Because the thought is, well, of course he says that because he's the son of God. Like, what else would he say? But then he says, this is how you pray. Why would he say that? Romans 8, it says this. Romans 8, 15, Paul says, you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Paul says, hey, once you surrendered your life to Jesus, once you believed on who Jesus is, now you've become a daughter or a son of the king, and you can approach God as if you're approaching, uh, approaching a heavenly dad who loves you and is for you. And in many ways, just he wants more for you than you want for yourself. And so 
The idea is connect relationally with God. Just realize that you have a relationship and connect relationally. You ever, um, you know those people in your life who just want to spend time with you? It's not a transaction. You're not a means to an end. They just like you. They just want to spend time. And, and it could be, usually it's the people who are closest to you. So it's, you know, your spouse, somebody you're dating, it's your roommate, your best friend, it's your kids, parents, whatever. But it's people who just love you. They don't, need any from, they don't need anything from you. They just love you, and they just want to spend time with you. Now, what are you willing to do for those people? Right? And so think about how it relates to our prayer life, the fact that we just want to connect relationally with God. I'm not showing up, God, only when I need something. I'm not showing up for a transaction. I'm not showing up making you a means to an end. I'm not showing up for the good things that you provide for me. I'm just showing up for you. I just want to spend time with you. I just want you to teach me. I want you to talk to me. I want you to lead me. So our Father in heaven, we connect relationally. And Jesus goes on. He says, here's what you say next. You say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, which is, nobody says that. Nobody says hallowed be, like, what is that language? And he's basically just saying, worship the name of God. Worship the name that is above every name. Hey, what if you and I spent some time thinking about the names of God and the names of Jesus? Because there's just real passport in the name of Jesus is what the scripture tells us, that his name has, there's power in his name. There's authority in his name. Have you ever, you ever been there where you name drop somebody? You know what I mean? Like somebody's ready to stiff arm you. Hey, you can't come to this. You can't get in whatever. And you just like name drop somebody. And they're like, okay, well, cool. You know, it's like uh, I, I did sales early on uh, when I was finishing up my undergrad. I, I did, uh, I worked in sales and I worked for this company that did high-end tailor-made suits, which is hilarious given my, my, my current get up. But but I did, but I did, and I, so I'd rock a suit every day. You know, I had a little pocket square, look clean. But I had that belt job. I had like a $250 suit trying to sell people like a $3,000 suit. Real story. So I'm, I'm in here, and it, it was like you would cold call people. If you've ever had that job, oh, it's the worst. You would just cold call people and try and convince them that you knew them or whatever. And so you, so you would have referrals, and, and they, you'd have people say, hey, you need to call so-and-so because they might be into this. And so you would call someone no context, didn't know these people. The only thing you had to go off of was a name. And depending on the name that you drop would determine whether or not the people on the other end of the phone would hang up on you, call you a jerk, invite you over. Like it was the, it was the passport. It was like, okay, cool. Well, you know, if Donna said it or, you know, if Mr. Johnson said it, then, you know, whatever. But it, it, it was so funny. Sometimes I was like, it was a little bit of a roulette. Like if they don't like this person, you know what I mean? They're like, are you kidding me? This jerk gave you my name. But it's sometimes if they, if, they, if they really love this person, they value this person, and they, they're like, oh, yeah, come on in. And so it's wild what a name can do. And this is what he's talking about when he's saying worship his name. Hallowed be your name is the name drop. And it's just saying Jesus is the name above every name. And, and his names are just a reminder of the character and the heart of God, which means uh, if I'm sick, I just need to remind my disease that Jesus is my healer. It means if I'm, if I'm anxious or I'm fearful, I need to remind my anxiety and my fear that Jesus is my peace. If I'm broke and impoverished and I'm having a hard time financially, I need to remind my poverty that Jesus is my provider. And, and you know, just pick a lane. Like if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm having the worst season of my life, epic failure, just remind my failure that Jesus is my victory. So there's all these names of God in Scripture that we can go to and say, man, 
God is the source. Proverbs 19.10, it says, God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. So worship his name. And, and what you do when you worship his name, you just, you remind, your, really what you're doing is you're reminding yourself of the character and the heart of God. That he is your righteousness. That he is your peace. That he is your shepherd. That he is your healer. That he is your sanctifier. That he is your banner of victory. That he is there. There's a, there's a name in scripture where it says God's name is there. It's like, where is there? It's like anywhere. It's just that he's there. He's God with us. And so uh, just remind ourselves and begin to worship him for who he is. And here's the next part. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, pray his agenda first. Before you pray your wants, your needs, your list of whatever your prayer things are. A lot of times, isn't it funny? Your, your prayer list and my prayer list are so, if yours is like mine, it's pretty focused on like me. What's going on in my life and what the needs are that, are, you know, that touch me. And Jesus has a prayer list as well. And Jesus' prayer list looks like this. It's others. And so if you want to grow in praying the kingdom of God, like praying his agenda first often looks like praying for, for other people. And in particular, praying for other people in a way that would, God, would you move in their life? God, would you give opportunity for people to come to know you? Or people that know you, would, you, would they experience freedom? Or people that need purpose? Or people that need fulfillment in life? And, and so you begin to attach to the people in your life just a kingdom-minded prayer. And, and what will happen as you begin to pray for other people is it'll shift your, it'll shift your perspective. This is Luke um, 12, 31. It says, each and every day... God will supply your needs as you seek his kingdom passionately above all else. And it's just a great reminder that in this season, January, first Sunday of 2024, that if we put God first, all the other things that you're stressed about, all the other things you're anxious over, all the other things you're afraid of, all the other things, if I will prioritize my life and I will pray first, and I will, I will tithe time and talent and treasure. I will put God first in relationships. Many of us are struggling in relationships. Put God first in that relationship and watch what happens. But just begin to put God first and then watch the benefits. But pray for others and then make my prayer life about others and watch what God does in my heart as I spend less time thinking about my situation, more time praying for other people. You're going to love people better in your life if you spend every day praying for those people. Married people, you want to get better. You want to get closer. Pray. Pray out loud. Ooh. Some of y'all are mad at me right now. Today he's told us to go home and pray out loud. Go home and pray out loud. It's real awkward. It's awesome. Pray out loud for each other. And, and just begin to pray out loud verbally things that you want for your spouse, for your kids. Invite your children into that. Pray, pray for your roommate. Pray for your friends. Pray for people. Pray for, pray for the people that you don't like. Oh, watch what happens. Watch what happens to your heart. As you, you can't hate people and pray for people at the same time. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So I believe the reason why Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies is because it shifts our heart and our perspective to the way that God sees them. Isn't that wild? People who don't like me, people who said something about me, people who did something to me, things that places of unforgiveness, God says, hey, begin to pray for people and then watch what happens as you pray his kingdom agenda first. 
And then Jesus goes on. He says, give us, our, give us this day our daily bread, which means depend on him for everything. Depend on him for everything. Pray for what you need as if you don't even have it. Communicate to God that you realize that God is the source and that your needs are met because he meets them. And yes, you have a job. And yes, you make money. And some people are arrogant enough to be like, man, what are we talking about? I don't need prayer. Like, I got a job. I got income. <laughs> so dumb. It's like, what, who gave you life? Who gave you that breath? Who gave you the brain? Who gave you the talent? Who gave you the resources? Who gave you the opportunity? Who gave you the natural resources to make the goods that you want to purchase with the money that you got from the job that he gave you in the first place? Who gave it to you? He's the giver of good gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from above is what Scripture tells us. But he gave you what you need to get everything that you have. Psalm 121 reminds us of where our help comes from. I love this passage. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. I love the hills, that version, if you got that translation. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's very poetic and it's very cool. And I used to think, yeah, look at mountains, look at hills. That's awesome. What the, what the psalmist is saying here, the hills was the seat of government in Israel. It was literally sitting on the hill. And as the psalmist is writing, he's looking at Capitol Hill saying, I lift my eyes to Capitol Hill. Where does my help come from? And then he answers, not from Capitol Hill. Can I tell you in an election year, some of you need to hear this. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't like do your political uh, duty or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying that ain't where your help's going to come from. I promise you, lift your eyes to the Lord. That's where your help comes from. And so... Um, man, you got to see God as your provider and sustainer and that he's the source and the peace and the joy that you need. It's not what, it's not what's outside of you. It's not the resources that God gives. It's not somebody else in your life. Cause many of us, you've placed a burden and you have put some people in your life on a pedestal and you want, you, you've made idols out of people in your life and they're just bad idols. Your spouse is a bad idol. Other leaders are bad idols, whatever. Like, just where does your help come from? The Lord. That's where your help comes from. The maker of heaven and earth. And, and the things that he gives you, they're amazing. They're good. Food, thank you for it. Resources, financial opportunities, whatever. Like, all that's amazing. Health. But that's not God. Like, so we have to put him first and, uh, and ask him to give us our daily bread. Depend on him. I love that he says, give us our daily bread. Oh, I like that and don't like that at the same time. I like it because it's cool. I hate that because it means, like, I got to come back tomorrow. Like, Lord, just give me what I need for the month. You know what I'm saying? Why does he do that? Because he wants to connect with you relationally. He wants you to come back. <laughs> he wants to spend time. He wants to be with you. And so Jesus says, he, he goes on to forgiveness. Look what he says in the next part of the prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Which means get your heart right with God and with people. Basically, God, search my heart, and if there's anything that offends you, point it out to me. This is what David prayers. And that is, a, that is an audacious prayer. That's a scary prayer. Because he will point out to you what offends him. And, but it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because God's desire is to transform you and make you into the likeness of his son. So anywhere that you and I are missing the mark, things we say, things we do, places we go, thoughts we have, all that kind of stuff. The idea is to put that before the Lord and say, hey, 
what's missing the mark so that I can become more of who you've created me to be. And it requires boldness and it requires faith. It's a little bit scary. But then in the aftermath of that, what happens is he tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And it's it's so important. The forgiveness side of the Lord's prayer is such a big deal and such a big part of the Christian life that Jesus actually gives commentary after the prayer on forgiveness alone. Hey, forgiveness is such a big deal that if in your prayer life you're hitting a wall, you're hitting a ceiling, you're thinking, man, God's not talking to me. I'm, I just, I'm not connecting relationally. And, and Jesus says, because you need to forgive somebody. <laughs> and if you've surrendered your life to me and you've experienced the forgiveness and the grace that I offer, you can't withhold that from others. you got to extend it. you got to preach that with your life. And so 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So God, search my heart. Is there anything in me that offends you? But also for anybody that's offended me or hurt me, they said things about me, they quit on me, they ghosted me, they called me names, God, forgive them. Allow me to forgive them. And then ask God to give you the, give you the, the courage of conviction to forgive people. Some of you need to forgive people before they even do. They're repeat offenders. They say and do dumb stuff all the time. You need to go ahead and forgive them in advance. So when they do it, you're like, I've already forgiven you. Right? My, my heart's ready. Like, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to say that. But forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then look at, the, look at this next one. He says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When I was growing up, I was like, why would he lead us into temptation? That is whack. Why would you even do that? And, but it's a bad translation. The real wording should be, do not allow me to be led into temptation. So basically, God, I'm going to be tempted today. I'm human. We live in a world full of temptations, full of, full of distractions, things that are pulling at my attention. And I'm going to have a chance to make bad choices. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can, can you make sure that my mind stays on you and, and that I'm thinking the way that you want me to think? Can you make sure that I'm going where you want me to go, that I'm waking, making wise and discerning decisions? decisions that, can you help me to say the right things, that I'm edifying people the things that I'm saying? I'm encouraging with my words. And Jesus tells us that what this part, of the, uh, this part of the prayer means is that you and I have an enemy. When it says, do not lead us into temptation, do not allow us to be led into temptation, it's just an acknowledgement that you and I have an enemy. Jesus says, you have an enemy, and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy your life. I'm not about any of that. And then right after that, Jesus says, but I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And so what that means is prayer is spiritual warfare. It means, it means some of the things that you're frustrated with, majority, if not all the things that you're frustrated with currently in your life, relationship problems, conflict, all the, all the stuff, all the baggage, all that is spiritual. Every bit of it is spiritual. And so it's just acknowledging, man, I got to go to war every day. This is Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of enemy in the heavenly realms. And so the idea is, man, a lot of the hard things that I'm going through, there's a spiritual element to those things. I'm not saying you shouldn't take ownership or other people in your life shouldn't take ownership of their actions or their words or the way they treat you or any of that kind of stuff. I'm simply saying that underneath it all, 
that the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your health, when it comes to your purpose, when it comes to your calling, when it comes to your impact. So I believe in have surrendered my life to Jesus, but I'm allowing the enemy to keep, keep me from making the impact that God's, God's called me to. I got to go to war every day, and I got to be looking out uh, for the plans and the schemes of the enemy. And, and if you do this, like if we prioritize prayer, 21 days of prayer and fasting, if you really do it, I'm going to give you a guarantee because it's rooted in Scripture, so I feel good about it. But I'm going to give you a guarantee. If you, if you do this, if you pray and fast, but you're like you really do it, you're not just doing it to say you did it or you're going on a diet or you're, just like, you're doing it out of religious obligation. But if your heart's in the right place where you really desire to hear from God and you make prayer a priority over 21 days and you let go of some things that have been distracting so you can attune yourself a little bit more to the things that God's been saying all along. You just ain't heard him. You haven't heard him. And so he's just like, I've been trying to speak to you, but you're not listening and put the phone down. And so if you'll do it for 21 days, you'll experience breakthrough in some area of your life. Every single person in this room needs breakthrough. I don't know what yours is. I just know you need one because you're human. And, and this is why Jesus came, and this is, what he, this is what he paid for. When he says, I want them to experience life and life to the full, he wants you to depend on him, abide in him, is what he tells us, John 15, so that we can flourish and experience all that God's called us to. But we have to let, that, we have to let go of some things, surrender some things, and you'll experience breakthrough. It might be day 8. It might be day 13. It might be day 19. You will experience breakthrough. Every, everything in our life, any kind of personal breakthrough for us and our family or anything ministry-related at the church has always come through prayer. Isn't that crazy? You're here because of prayer. Somebody prayed you here. You got mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandmas. You got people in your life that have been all up in your bed. They've been praying for you. Until you finally met Jesus, people prayed you there. And then even once you're there, you have people praying, interceding for your behalf. But it's the spiritual warfare. You've got to go to war and, and realize that, man, there's a lot at stake. And ask God, hey, God, would you lead us? Or let's, let's experience some breakthrough. And then Jesus, he, he wraps everything up with this. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the whole idea is to express faith in God's ability. So whatever it is you and I are worried about, like whatever your hard situation is, God is not stressed about your situation. <laughs> he's not like, what are we going to do? Like he's, oh, they're out, you know, like he's not stressed. He's not worried about what's going on with you. You're stressed and you're anxious. And he's like, hey, if you'll come to me, I will, I will give you something in exchange for that stress and that worry, but you have to see me for who I am. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We used to sing this song back in the day called Nothing is Too Difficult for Thee. Did y'all sing that back in the day? I'm looking, I'm gauging, looking at people who are older. All right. Back in the day, got that hymn. Oh man, it hit so hard. Uh, but but just the idea is, man, nothing is too hard for God. It doesn't matter what you're up against. He's bigger. And he really wants to communion with you and spend time with you. And prayer is the way we do that. Revelation 5.13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. 
And so nothing, nothing that, that we're up against is too big for God. And, and nothing uh, that you and I bring to God in prayer makes God worry or concerned. <laughs> he already knows. And it's, primary, it's, about, it's about the communion. It's about the relationship. And so uh, that's the point of 21 days of prayer. That's the whole point of pray first. Jesus models it with his life. Everywhere you go, spend some time in the Gospels, go home and research. All these amazing moments in the life and ministry of Christ happen with prayer first. And then for me and you, what do you think is going to happen in your life when you prioritize prayer? And really, it's not even about prayer. It's about the relationship with God. Prayer is the vehicle by which we draw close to him. We experience more of him. And you're going to get direction and revelation. Crazy things are going to happen. Please do this. If stuff happens in your life over these next 21 days, please tell somebody. Let us know. We're going to ask you. We're going to keep it alive over the course of the month. Hey, we're praying and fasting. I want to hear the stories and the testimonies. And we'll share the, the, the cool things that God's going to do because he's going to do crazy things. He's already doing them. He's already doing them, and it hasn't even, hadn't even happened yet. So um, let's, let's approach God the way that Jesus asked us. We had, if we had a master class in prayer, and we got one from Jesus, if anybody could teach us how to pray, it's him. And he says, here's how to do it. We've already gone through it. That same outline is in this book. Uh, take those, those scriptures, apply it to your life, and then watch God. Watch the fruit, everything that takes place as a result of your surrender and your believing that God can do incredible things in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this season. Uh, thank you for new beginnings, God. Thank you for a new year, and thank you for an opportunity to experience more of you. You have incredible things in store, and I cannot wait to see... Um, revival and I cannot wait to see life change and I cannot wait to see all the ways that you move in people's lives over the course of these 21 days but in just this next year in general. God would you give us uh, faith to believe that you are who you say you are. God would you help us to not just have religious exercise or some, some obligation or duty that we have to meet but God give us delight in spending time with you and connecting relationally with you and give us the faith that as we do it, that you can do anything. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is too big. God, give us eyes to see the ways you've already answered our prayers. We just weren't paying attention. And God, help us, mark us as a community of faith, as a church that prays first before anything that we pray. And we just trust you in leading us. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, when I talk about having a real relationship with him, when I'm talking about, hey, here's how you know where you're at with God and whether or not you're in a real relationship with him, this whole idea of knowing God is do you spend time with him? Do you pray to him? Do you converse with him? Does he talk back? And if you want that, if you're missing that in your life, if you just feel far from God, but today just the Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you just see and experience Jesus in a fresh way. That's the moment of salvation is when you realize who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. You just say, God, I need more of you. I want to humble myself. I want to lay down arms. God, I want to pick up a relationship with you. I'm your son and I'm your daughter. And so would you take my sins past, present, and future? You've already paid for them, but I want all that you have for me. If that's you today and you want to come alive in Christ, surrender your life to him with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just lift your hand in the room and just say, I need more of Jesus. I need what he's paying for. 
I want a real relationship with him. I'm tired of going through the motions. Praise God. Is there anybody else? Just say, man, that's for me. I need it. Awesome. For those that raised your hands, just say, just right where you're at. Even if you didn't raise your hand, but this is you and you know uh, it's not about a prayer or hand raised as much as it is about your faith and who Jesus is and your confession of who he is. So just say, just say right there to yourself out, out loud or you can say it quietly. Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. God, thank you for, for using other people's prayer. God, thank you for using other people's faith to even get me to this moment. I know I need you. I know I have so much to lay down so that I can pick up the things you want me to pick up. Would you take my sin and my brokenness and my mistakes, my missed marks? God, would you exchange that for heaven? Would you exchange that for the abundant life now? I want, I want all that you want for me. And would you guide me by your spirit? God, speak to me through your word. God, root me in a biblical community, a people of faith that sometimes want more for me than I'm going to want for myself so that I can become more like you, Jesus. And God, transform me from the inside out. Help me, help me to, to love you and to love spending time with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. Church family, can we just celebrate life change? Anybody that surrendered their lives to Jesus today? So just a couple things before we leave. Team's going to lead us in a song. Um, there's prayer guides if you want them and next steps. If you surrendered your life to Christ, let us know that you made that decision. Uh, there's also little cards that you're going to get on the way out. It just says God's promises. These are cards, people in, people in your life that you know need Jesus and are just far from God that you've been praying for, but maybe you just forget to write down their name. It's an opportunity for you to write down their name. It's a little index card, just not index. It's a little, uh, what do you call it? Business card. Put it in your wallet, put it on your person. And it just says God's promises. Um, so that if people see it, they're not like, why is my name on here? You know, like it's cause it's like these people are jacked up and they need the Lord is not a good title. So it's just God's promises for their life. It's just scripture. Other side, just put first names, whatever you want to do. Pray for people. Join us for prayer services. We're super excited. Team's going to lead us in worship. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to close out just in faith, just singing and praising Jesus for who he is. Here we go.